Well, welcome, folks. We are, we drink and we wash things. Yeah, we are. I'm Mackenzie. I'm Lamar. And we are ready to drink and talk about things that we watched. Correction, drinking. Drinking, yes. Yeah. We are, we've been drinking. Yeah. <laughs> well, we had to. This took a little bit to set up, as per usual, I think, really. So, wait, but what are we drinking? What are you drinking? Uh, I have this, is this homemade this on is, your part? Yeah, I did make it, actually. Yeah, so this is a delicious sangria uh, that I am sipping on, and it, it's wonderful. Okay, if you want to get technical, it's a clerico. It's a, if I want to get technical, it's a clerico, so that's cool. <laughs> well, we also have spooky mugs. I feel like they could, wish I could show them what we have mug-wise. post it on the socials. Yes, we'll post it on our Instagram, we drink and we watch things. Uh, but yeah, so I have a skeleton mug full of what I call my boozy coffee. I know, super creative name. Uh, it's got, you know, got a couple shots of the good stuff. You know, some some Irish cream uh, and and some frangelica or hazelnut liqueur. Ah, you throw some frangelica in there. Yeah, uh, yeah, okay. yeah. There are a couple good ones, but I do like that one a lot. It also has a cool little outfit on the bottle. So, you know, respect. I went, I went through a little phase, I think, shortly after college where I was big into frangelica. They were doing what we called chocolate cake shots. And it's a, it's like mostly Frangelica. I think there's like a vodka or something else in the shot glass as well. But then you chase it or like you bite into after you drink it, a lemon wedge with sugar poured on it. Wow. And no lie, it is just like your mouth is filled with chocolate cake and it's wonderful. What? We did them at bars a few times and then we tried to bring it home and do it ourselves. And we realized you do three or four of those and you are, your stomach is messed up. Oh for the yeah. Day, like so. all the sugar. Yeah. I would but recommend how does that one work with the lemon wedge? I have no idea how it all comes together. I don't know who invented this and discovered that it tastes like chocolate cake, but it does. Okay. So. Somebody explain to us, come to us. <laughs> in the comments and let us know how this works because i need to know there's the chemistry a, yeah, behind there's it. a mixologist out there somewhere yeah who's some mixologist this. or yeah. baker or somebody knows what the hell that's all about i love that okay cool so we're ready to drink and we have our spooky mugs which of course is because it's october it Best is spooky year. season it is my favorite time of year and the apropos time to start a podcast for me really like if we're gonna launch a podcast spooky season is like my good luck charm I think so. Yeah. Uh, October's always been my favorite month of the year. I love everything about it. I don't love the weather down here in Texas in October compared to the Northeast where I grew up. I think uh, you That's miss much out. much more spooky season Yeah, you weather. miss out on a true autumn, a true yeah. fall. Um, the leaves here just sort of turn brown and die at some point. Mm -hmm. There's not really a transition at any point. But everything else about October, I love. All right, time to talk movies. So in honor of spooky season, what we wanted to do was kick it off with a spooky theme and start with spooky films. Um, but quick background on me. I'm just a, I'm just a film nerd. I just like movies. I watch a lot of freaking movies. And so it was really hard to find something like just to narrow down the topic for today, like hone in on a topic, hone in on a movie. And Lamar is the best person to talk about these things with because he loves spooky seasons, spooky movies as well. Um, but tell him what what the plan was for today, what we had to do. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that I'm the best at something. Suck it, Dad. Um, <laughs> yeah, Mackenzie's one of the biggest cinephiles that I know. And I think I've seen probably more horror movies than any other genre in my life because I've been watching horror movies since I was 10 years old. So... It was a little difficult. We we didn't know if we should stick to sort of classic viewing stuff that everyone has seen or newer stuff. And then 
it was kind of like, well, let's take a different spin on it. What movies have you not seen? Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't Mm -hmm. have to be all time greats, but just what horror movies have you not seen that are out there? And that's what we sort of decided on. So you want to tell them what what films we picked? Yeah. So this took a while um, for all the reasons. I actually thought that this was going to be easier for you than for me. So what we did was we wanted to pick for each other something that we had not seen and, uh, you know, kind of give each other homework. And so I picked something for you, and I think it was literally the first thing I suggested you had not seen, which worked out great. But I thought it was going to be harder for me because unlike you, I am not a huge horror movie fan. I, I do like horror films. I have a handful that I just truly love, some top tens for sure. But I didn't think I was as proficient in you know halloween horror specific kind of films you had a really hard time finding one that i had not seen so i've seen more than i thought yeah i threw a few out there and you you know texted back and i was just like yep seen those seen that seen that (laughs) one okay cool i get it Mackenzie. you watch more movies than me uh you know i just needed the opportunity to hair flip what can i say no i i actually was genuinely surprised as well but but uh, i assigned to you one of my favorite i mean honestly if i had to do like a, a top five of my halloween favorites this is probably in the top five definitely in the top 10 okay. uh which is crimson peak directed mm-hmm. by guillermo del toro and when you assigned it to me i actually had no idea that it was a del toro film Really? I think I figured it out about halfway in. Oh. I was like, this is visually really stunning, Ooh. but in I Okay, had this no is gonna be so interesting. Movie, yeah. This is gonna be so interesting yeah. to talk about. Okay, I'm so excited. All right. And then you assigned me. I assigned, and I was surprised that you had not seen this one, because it's been around since I think the mid-90s. And based on, you know, your taste and a couple other topics that we've talked about before, I thought you would have seen it. But from Dust Till Dawn, from a Mr. Robert Rodriguez. Yeah. Yes. I feel like a disrespected him a little, to be honest. I won't tell him if you don't. (laughs) Yeah. uh, Let's make sure he never hears his podcast as though he would. Uh, Yeah. So Dust Till Dawn, uh, very, we'll we'll get into the details, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't say it's in my top five Halloween films, but, or October films for that matter. But it is one where if if people say I've never seen that, I just tell them like you, you should, it is a must watch. It's a fun flick. It's a must watch for you. Okay, cool. Well, that makes sense why you picked it, because that was going to be my next question was, was why did you pick it? So we're going to start by, you know, talking about Crimson Peak, um, and then we're going to lead into From Dust Till Dawn. So if you haven't seen either of these movies, I think this is your this is your turnaround warning now, uh, because we're going to we're going to give some spoilers. We're going to definitely give you like a quick plot summary. Um, but also, you know, if you haven't seen them, we do recommend them. So take a minute to watch them before you listen to this. So for Crimson Peak, it's the story of a young woman, you know, around the turn of the century who is very close with her father. She's American um, and meets this tall, dark and handsome man from across the pond, British guy, inner Tom Hiddleston. um, And they are essentially, you know, seeking funding for his manor back in England, uh, where he's trying to, you know, basically make his toy work, his clay mine toy work. Yeah, he's an inventor. And this is way before the times of Shark Tank. Yeah, so he couldn't just get in front of the sharks <laughs> and sort of get funding. So instead, he goes through other. Wait, movies. is it sharks giving the funding? Is that how that, I've never seen that show? Literal sharks. Literal sharks <laughs> handing out money. Sharks in a tank. <laughs> I love that. Investing there. Yeah. So he couldn't, you know, he had to kick it old school, literally take a ship across an ocean and ask an American dude for money. Uh, it doesn't go great. Spoiler alert. Yes. Um, 
And so, you know, so a murder plot ensues. Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, he makes her fall in love with him during that process. They yeah. get married. They go back to jolly old England, which, as you will find, is not super jolly. Uh, and, you know, she uncovers all the mysteries of both this manor and this family. Uh, and and actually, I think ghosts. Yeah. You know, I I, I didn't pick up on the fact that there was something special about her with being able to see the dead or commune mm. with the dead in some capacity. But one of the first scenes in the film is her being yeah. visited by her dead mother. And I thought it was like, and I might misspeak many times today because Mackenzie, you said this is one of your favorite films. I've seen it once. Yeah. So I'm going to do my best to no, remember all the names and like. I've seen from Dust Till Dawn once. We're going to well, be fine. Yeah, this is going to be great. <laughs> uh, but you can't forget Sex Machine. Don't jump ahead. <laughs> but... Uh, there's no character named Sex Machine in Crimson Peak. That's unfortunately one no crossover with oh, that. Oh, yeah. But was she myth. sees her mother at the beginning of the film after her mother had died. She's still a child. Her mom passes away. Her mother visits her. I, For me, as somebody who's watching this for a first time, I was like, if you're this girl's mom, why are you coming back in this terrifying way like they do have her sort of cuddle her in the night and comfort her (laughs) but the first image you see is like her walking down the hall with her hands outstretched and it's like that's terrifying thanks mom be as creepy as fucking possible about this mom i love you but if you know when you move on please do not scare the hell out of me if you want to come say hi maybe whisper let's pull a casper Mm -hmm. i don't know be (laughs) cute and bubbly like what is this about well, it's not Guillermo del Toro is the thing. Like, he's not going to. Right. He's got to have that visual sort of looked. And it is. It's a beautiful film. Mm-hmm. Just it is that. just gorgeous. Yes. It's gorgeous. Yeah, I agree. Well, yeah, look, jumping right in. That's a high level. We'll get into some more of the plot later. But anyway, I, I think that's a perfect segue into what I wanted to ask you, which was, you know, what did you notice on a first watch? What stood out? You said, obviously, a couple of things. It took you a minute to notice the the style and the color mm-hmm. to figure out who it was, you know, as a director. But like, you know, in the first what first half before you noticed that what was kind of standing out, I think. I think at the beginning of the film, I kind of saw where it was going. I mm-hmm. knew it was kind of a, I mean, they tell you it's a ghost story, right? And mm-hmm. I did. I wanted to ask you because at the beginning of the film, they say that she's an author She's mm-hmm. working on a ghost story. Mm-hmm. And then they say, oh, you know what? You should add a love story into oh, it to make God. it more interesting. Gross. And as a first time watcher, but as somebody who, you know, has seen a lot of films mm-hmm. and I track, you know, little hints of dialogue, mm-hmm. but I still found myself wondering at the end, what does that mean to you as somebody who's seen this many times, that line about, oh, take a ghost story, but add a love story? Because that's what this is, yeah. a love story plus a ghost story. So did you, do you read any more into that? Uh, well, of course, my initial reaction is fuck that. Uh, <laughs> but then also my secondary reaction is, of course, yeah, that's what he does with it. Yeah. You know, so there is kind of like this meta irony of it all that mm-hmm. he does take it there. But I love the feminist notion of the way that the script is written and the way mm-hmm. that it, the plot is written, that she is a really autonomous person. She's also wealthy. Let's not overlook that. You know, yeah. she's the daughter of a wealthy, successful man who has worked hard to make his money, but he is wealthy and she is privileged as a result. So I think she has some autonomy at this time in history that most women do not, right? Like right. many, many women are tied to some kind of relationship some love story some what have you that needs to provide them some security and yeah. things like that and for the and, record i'm sorry this was 1901 i like googled yeah. it earlier this yeah, is yeah, when yeah. this takes place so even before when had the right to vote and like correct you know so I, yeah yeah mm-hmm. so she 
she has a surprising amount of independence, I think, is mm-hmm. is what stands out to me about her. And I love that. And I love that he gave her that autonomy in writing this mm-hmm. the way that, that it was written. Um, I love her mic drop drop moment, too, where she's talking to all those ladies who are, you know, trying to catch a man. Uh, and she's t- they were telling her, like, it's our very own Jane Austen. And didn't she die a spinster? And I love that she's like, I'd rather be Mary Shelley. And she died a widow. Yeah. And I was yeah. like, yes, queen. <laughs> like, I love her. I love her character. Um, but yeah, I do think it is a little ironic that that ends up being part of the story. But what I do think stands out and kind of... Um, I guess augments that intention is that as you find over the course of the story, I think this story is actually less about them falling in love. And I think it's a little bit more about her conflict with Jessica Chastain's character, Mm. who is, you know, Tom Hiddleston's character's uh, brother, I mean, sister, sorry. And she, so she, you know, they have this direct conflict throughout the film and it's kind of this, uh, I think the a story of two women, really, and how they interact with each other. And he's important to it, of course. I'm not saying that he's not. Yeah. Um, but I think it becomes less about their love story. I find that's an interesting take. And I can definitely, I can see that. So much of the, the film, it feels like she's sort of doing her own. Th- the main character's name is Edith. Edith. Okay, so it feels like Edith is doing her own thing a lot of times. She's wandering around these castle grounds. She's sort of interacting with different characters and all that. Definitely passes the Bechdel test. You know, all the conversations aren't just about Tom Hiddleston's character. But yeah, I I could see that because for this being a quote-unquote love story, I do seem to remember that not a lot of their screen time is together. Yeah, I mean, so yeah, it's Thomas... Lucille and Edith are the main mm-hmm. characters. Thomas and his sister Lucille are, I think, the pairing at the top. You know what I mean? Like if that they're they're uh they're counterparts at the top. They're kind of a coupled them at the top in their own weird way. You know, as far as you know, kind of balancing that. And then, you know, Edith comes in and kind of steals the show and and kind of steals his heart. And you can tell because of the way this you know story plays out that that's unexpected for everyone. That's unexpected for Thomas. That's unexpected for Lucille, who is incredibly jealous of that dynamic shifting. And I think it, yes, then shifts to how do Lucille and Edith start to battle for that role a little bit of of being his partner, Mm -hmm. you know, romantic or otherwise. They're they're there to partner Thomas. Mm -hmm. And I think that they're starting to kind of, yeah, battle that out over the course of the film a little bit. Yeah, I'm not sure how much into the plot you like how ahead of ourselves we want to get with the actual plot of the film. But to not, I guess, jump into the back half, it's clear from the beginning that this brother and sister are very close. Mm -hmm. They are essentially business partners. You know, Mm -hmm. when we talk about them seeking funding and whatnot, Mm -hmm. it's very much a two person operation. So she feels very protective of him. You know, they, they do when Edith joins them and moves into sort of the manner that they share. It's just the two of them sharing this big house in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. So, yes, they are clearly a very tight-knit relationship. Both their parents are gone. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it's interesting to see how that plays out. Not not, not as predictable as you would think on that end. Well, and I think that's a great question for you, actually, because, again, I've seen it so many times, and I, I rewatched it for us to talk about it. But I remember during the rewatch thinking, I can't remember when I didn't know about X, Y, and Z things that happen mm-hmm. in this plot. So what did I think about it when I watched it the first time? And I think the thing that stands out to me about their dynamic, Thomas and, and Lucille, is that you could tell something was amiss 
Yeah. From the get go. Yeah. You know, and, and Thomas being there, he has kind of a traditional, it's a traditional meet cute, as it were, right? Yeah. He's yeah. reading her pages that she's writing and he's complimenting them. And it turns out he's there to meet her father. Like, great. Mm-hmm. But, you know, so in that moment, independent of anything else, looks like it could be a traditional love story, yeah. you know, but then enter stage left Lucille at, you know, a, an event that they are all at and she's playing piano beautifully. Jessica Chastain, actual queen, learned how to play that part. Um, and, you know, and then they come together. And I think th- there's a distinct shift for me in Thomas and Lucille. The, as soon as they get put together, yeah. something is a little bit wrong. Yeah, it feels like she's got a bit of control over him in some capacity. Mm-hmm. You can tell she's watching him like very closely mm-hmm. and he's aware of that. And so I, I seem to remember glances mm-hmm. his way from her and he would kind of cower a little bit. So mm-hmm. it's like you there's no confusion over where the power, how where the power the dynamic is. is working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't know if you noticed this, but I felt like there was a physical darkening that happened. Mm. Right. So like he is light. Edith is light. They are lighter together. You know, they meet in a light setting. She's wearing a light dress. He's uh, He exudes kind of a lightness, if that makes sense. And then even when he picks her up at the at the house before this kind of gala that they're going to, uh, you know, she wasn't planning to go. She's in kind of this, this light-colored dress. She shows right. up in a light-colored dress. Right. So she's very much being posited as the antithesis, I think, of Lucille, who is wearing a very dark, dark. dress. The uh. room is darker. The environment is darker. She, as soon as they come together, he gets darker. To your point, he, like, diminishes slightly. And so it's, to me, I thought there was a vis- visual darkness as she enters, and it give, really cues that there is something amiss here. There is a there is a uh, a con. There's a con happening. Yeah. Now that you are saying that, and y'all, if you are not film, and when I say film, I mean film, not just a movie. I like going to the movies, but we're going to be getting into film components. <laughs> Some and, film you know, So uh, let's let's dive a little deep on this because you saying that. It, it did it. I do remember throughout most of the film, Edith is wearing yellows and mm-hmm. whites, very bright colors. I seem to remember, you said Thomas. Mm-hmm. I seem to remember Thomas, you know, Tom Hiddleston wearing lots of white, mm-hmm. not necessarily bright colors, but white. Yeah. And yeah. And the sister is always in dark blacks, Darks. dark blues. And I'm wondering if, uh, first off, I d- it's not even that I'm wondering. I'm sure Del Toro did this on purpose. But a thousand percent. There's also, I seem to remember, a mention in the beginning of butterflies. Yeah. When they are in America and, uh-huh. she, and Edith is playing with the butterfly yeah. or like, and they're talking about it. And then they mention, oh, at the castle, we only have moths. Yeah. You know, dark. But you'll hear what she said specifically about the butterflies. She said they get their energy from the sun. And mm. when it abandons them, they die. Oh. And she's touching them while they're on the floor and she's rubbing them against her face and she's kind of getting this, you know, morbid satisfaction out of that. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, mentions the black moths at Crimson Peak that yeah. are which we don't know it's Crimson Peak yet, but at the manor and, you know, says that they die, you know, and they're they're formidable is what she says about the black moths is that they yeah. are formidable. And I think another thing, speaking to color, that stood out to me as you said that is, if you want me to super nerd out on you, Thomas and Lucille are aligned in coloring early on. Mm -hmm. And so insofar as he wears, when they arrive at the manor, he is wearing a blue velvet, like a lighter, but like, not a lighter, a darker blue velvet and kind of a midway uh, blue velvet suit, jacket, what have you. 
And she is wearing that same colored dress, Lucille. And she is there ahead of them, obviously. They have honeymooned and whatever, and she's already been there. And so to me, it's like there is a visual alignment of them, an alliance of theirs mm. right away. And it's it's distinct in the coloring. And Edith is the outside. Yes. She's wearing the lighter color. She's she's the standout. And she stays the standout, I think. Yeah, she she's dressed in bright colors throughout. Right. It's typically a yellow, right. like a very bright yellow, and it feels so out of place. A yellow in this or manner. green or yeah. She's walking golden. across these this black, dark castle mm-hmm. or the solid, you know, the white of the snow. Mm-hmm. There's some really gorgeous shots in this, and that sometimes there's the red of that road mm-hmm. in the soil with the snow, but she's the lone mm-hmm. bright yellow standout. Right butterfly if you will in this sort of scenery that we see yeah and but she gets tainted by the scenery Mm. you know you even see it on the clothes right like the clay is red and of course that's an intentional motif again i'm sure but she walks through the clay and and her yellow dress gets discolored by the red at the bottom the hem of her dress and uh, same thing in the snow when she walks out in her white nightgown and she's in the snow and it gets red Mm -hmm. at the bottom so she gets blood on her And I think that's symbolic in a lot of ways, right? She gets bloodied by this experience, you know, whether it's physically or otherwise. She's bloodied by this experience at Crimson Peak. It's going to forever change her. But she retains something, I think, about her that keeps her brightness, keeps her purity kind of throughout. That's that's something that I've always thought stood out throughout just the colors, this use of colors. Yeah. And I think that's classic Del Toro. So I I think uh, there was a, a thought that I had about an hour into this where I was like, I just sometimes I wonder if Del Toro just comes up with a vision of what he wants a film to look like but hasn't totally even thought through the entire plot of what it's gonna be it's just like i have the i know i want this shot of this white snow and this girl in a mm-hmm. yellow like i i just can't i i have a hard time sometimes with del toro films i do love him as a director but sometimes it does feel like he, so much of the emphasis on is on how beautiful it is and i'm not always connecting with the story i don't think mm-hmm. that was the case in this as much because I, it's, there are elements of the plot that we'll get into that surprised me. But I did feel like for the first 90 minutes of this mm-hmm. two-hour movie, I pretty much knew where everything was going. Oh, okay. I think that would be... And that might just be the product of watching so many films. Well, yeah. I think when you watch a lot of... I mean, a lot of films in general, but especially when you watch things that are horror or scary or whatever. Like, you know yeah. the way a ghost story, quote-unquote, is going to go, you yeah. know? Um, so I think that makes sense. But what did surprise you? Uh, okay, how deep are we getting way into the plot? Let's just dive in. Uh, one word would be incest. That, that, (laughs) if I had to summarize in a single word, what shocked me the most that I didn't see, I mean, as we said, we knew they were close. We didn't know they were that close. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's funny you say that, because I, uh... I'm also pretty good at predicting things when it comes to movies. It's it's actually one of my claims to fame. <laughs> and I feel, and again, it's been too many watches since, so I, I couldn't tell you with 100% certainty, but I feel like I thought that. Mm. I feel like I thought that kind of early on before it's confirmed. Like, I do not remember being shocked ever. Okay. And as you as you see it in the movie, uh, so so Edith is discovering them. That's what happens. Yeah. You know, and they allude to multiple times that... He's been very respectful of her mourning, even though they're married and they haven't hooked up and whatever. And he's not in their bed at night. Right. He's not in their bed at night. And girl is 
wanting to get some poor thing and yeah. she is like why does he not want me like what the heck they didn't get a real honeymoon they didn't get a real a honeymoon bummer. but that's what i'm saying like maybe this is just because i know men and i'm like there's no <laughs> freaking way i'm sorry this has not have been weeks of this and this guy did not even <laughs> try anything unless something was funky at home yeah you know what i'm yeah. saying i definitely felt like they have a dynamic here that they're not touching on. You right. Know? I knew that, as you said earlier, there's a con going on. Mm-hmm. They are seeking funding. It's clear that they've done this multiple times. I assumed that it was, yes, he was pretending to fall in love with women to mm-hmm. get their estates or their right, funding, right, right. and then they were killing them off. I thought... Which is semi-correct. I, I I assumed it was just the sister. Like, she yeah. was behind all of it, and he was sort of along for the ride. Yeah. And then it turns out he's a, li- he's a lot more complicit than I thought near mm-hmm. the end. Um, but yeah, the, the incest thing was what caught me off yeah. guard. Because I think the natural jump there, too, even if they are involved, is to assume that she's actually not his sister. And, it's, and they make a line about and that. And they too. make a line about yeah. that. She goes, Oh, so you're not his you're not his sister. I knew, I knew it. it yeah. You know? And it's like, nah, bitch, I, <laughs> I am, am his sister. I'm just real gross. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, but doesn't I, even try to deny doesn't it. Doesn't even it's try like, to deny it. Yeah. I think at that point she's like, you know, she's a little bit crazy, obviously. Yeah. So she's just ready to own her crazy. It's I a think. bummer that this family was around like a hundred and ten years before Game of Thrones hit the airwaves, because they would have loved They would have loved yeah. <laughs> they would have fit right in. They would have <laughs> all been homies. <laughs> I've never identified with a character on TV so much. Oh, truly. And I think, like, again, I think it's easy to jump to, well, then she must not be his sister. Uh, but then right. she just owns it. And I think it's a testament, of course, to Jessica Chastain, again, who is just utterly brilliant in pretty much everything that she does. Yeah. Um, but she really owns this character, I think, fully mm-hmm. embodies it. She's spoken about this a couple times with regard to multiple characters of where she's like, I just immerse myself and become that person and become that character yeah um and how gnarly must that have been to do that to really fully become this person who is really you know touching the boundaries of what is and is not okay as a human yeah you know and i think what's interesting is that she asked for this role did you know that i had no idea so she was actually asked to play edith and then she asked to pl- to actually get the part of Lucille. She thought it was a more interesting part. I mean, and she plays it per that unhinged. I never thought I would be afraid of Jessica Chastain in any role. But the last 30 minutes or so of this, when she just goes balls to the wall insane. You're like, oh, is, yeah. Oh. Everybody like, yeah, got some crazy. I would be kind of. I would probably be running away from her, too. <laughs> Yeah, I think she, yeah, like I said, she commits. She mm-hmm. really commits, you know. And I think actually, at, especially at that point, um, Thomas kind of becomes a little bit of an afterthought. Yeah. To be honest. Yes. You know, she just utterly steals the show in her insanity. And I think that's to your point of, you know, I don't know that I read it as a, a feminist film per se, but. The way that you express that, it is interesting to see that you would expect in this, it's a love story, even though it's a ghost story, you would expect Tom Hiddleston's character to be sort of the main focus of the film, and it never really feels that way. He does feel like an afterthought. It feels like the dynamic and sort of the opposition between these Mm -hmm. two women ends up driving the majority of the plot of the film. Yeah. To the point where I mean- They are moving it forward, yeah. And to the point where- 
Thomas barely figures into the ending of the film. Like they have the little, you know, ghost scene, but for the most part, it's just like, no, this has been about these two hating each Mm -hmm. other. Well, and you know what else before I forget, because I, I think they are treated as sort of an afterthought. It's also the women who are not present, right? Mm. The women who have died. Yeah. Both the mother and then Mm. all these three other women that the sharps have killed. Yes. Right. You know, their presence or lack thereof in various forms, whether it's a letter or the the phonograph or gramophone, whatever recording that she plays um, or her luggage that she finds or the key that she finds or what have you. These are all things that, again, drive the plot forward Mm -hmm. and are all women. They're all other women, dead or alive. It's all women driving this plot forward. And then, yeah, both of the other men, actually, we haven't touched on her friend back in America, the ophthalmologist, uh, Charlie Hunnam's character, who he also does an excellent job. I wish there were more of him in this because he's he's sweetheart. Um, But he is also an afterthought. They're both an afterthought. And what's funny is that the, the director goes to Charlie Hunnam and says, I need you to play the damsel in distress. And he took he was like, I'm sold. (laughs) <laughs> I want to do this movie. And yeah. I think it's funny to see that he he kind of does fit that role early on. Of course, he does try to save her. But then yeah. who ends up saving who? Correct. Yeah. 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 He's, he's bleeding out on the floor he's while ble- she goes and saves herself. He's bleeding out. He's being a little bit useless. Yeah. You know, A for yeah. effort, bro. But you didn't do it. So yeah. let I mean, me just he is, handle His shit. character is trying so hard to get laid in this film. Oh, my God. Like, that, he, that is the most, hey, you up kind of yeah. rea- of like, he's... <laughs> fleeing he the country, the crosses ocean. the ocean. He gets a, a horse in the middle of winter and like travels to this castle in the middle of nowhere. And this, we talked about this earlier. The weirdest thing to me is that he arrives and this poor girl is poisoned and drugged and like yeah. bleeding, like coughing up blood and uh-huh. passed out on the, this uh, piece of furniture. And he goes to pick her up and gets uncomfortably close to her face. I get it, they're childhood friends. But it's like, in movies when you can tell, like, people don't talk, you know, so close to each other, but they always do that in films to make it a better shot. But he's, like, picking her up, and, like, he's like, are you, show me that you're able to walk, show me that you're (laughs) able to walk. And he's, like, waiting for her to kiss him, and I'm like, dude, she is in no position right now. She is under the influence, (laughs) she is uncomfortable, she is dying, and you are, like, up in her face, you came all this way, and it just felt a little awkward for me. He's like, listen, I still love you a lot, even if you're really sick, so are you in? Because if you're in, I'm in. Let's do this. We can make this this work. He's like, listen, this guy's crazy, they're crazy, now's my time to shine, (laughs) you know? He's like, it's my turn, bitches. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. It, and I know he's supposed to be this kind of pure character. But yeah, it, that does feel like a little opportunistic where he's like, ooh, OK. Yeah, I didn't in the initial seeing him at the start of the film in America. It didn't feel like necessarily a romance between the two. You knew that they were childhood friends. Right. But just as they were close. But then as the movie went on, I'm like, oh, he's into her. He and is into her. Like, yeah, she, he has been in love with her his whole life. Yeah. You know what I mean? And she just sees him as a friend. She has been. Right. You know, looking at him as a friend for too long that I don't think she's been able to make that mental shift. But his love for her becomes you know, obviously integral to the plot where he's one of the few people really looking out for her. He's Mm. reading the room. You know, he's reading the con. He's like, I don't know exactly what the con is, but there is a con. I don't know how deep it goes, but I know it's bad. Mm -hmm. And I have to, you know, it's my duty to protect this person because no one else in the world is still here to look out for her. Her father is gone. You know, this, this is, this is my job now. And he really takes it upon himself. So we have to, I think we have to give him a little credit for some purity there. Yeah. And I mean, he's one of like, 
one of the doctors in the early 1900s who was actually good at his job yeah. because he's like, I think, you know, this father was murdered. And the, the other doctor's like, no, he just no. fell and hit his head on the sink eight times. That's yeah. how he died. Right, right, right. <laughs> Obviously like, eight wait, times. What? <laughs> it is very normal to get up and fall again and hit your head again over and over. Yeah. But, you know, you'll find, too, I think what's interesting is, uh, you know, she, Edith, kind of limited that as well because she just didn't want them to look at him too closely. Right. She didn't want them to touch him. And it's not, yeah. of course, her fault, but she just inherently, like, mm-hmm. didn't want too much you know attention paid to his body she just wanted wanted closure it's done done, exactly and i wonder if that was yeah more of a function of i can't face this it's too gruesome yeah uh than not really wanting to know you know i I think maybe she deep down wanted to know but was not capable of taking it on at that Mm -hmm. time and and probably of course didn't assume that the sharps had anything to do with it yeah right her even if she thinks that there's some foul play she probably assumes that it's related to something else you know her father's business or or whatever else you know so i think it was easy for her to kind of stick her head in the sand and go i I can't deal with this right I, i just can't deal with this you keep referring to them as the sharps and b- earlier we talked about the sharks on Shark Tank. So I keep wondering if he did get rich. Like, could they have started their own investment firm? And then it could have been called Shark Tank. That I'm down for the sequel. This, at some yeah. Point. Crimson Peak Tar- Part 2. <laughs> Part 2. The, the Shark Tank. The Shark Tank. Oh, we're right. We're right in your work here, Guillermo. Give me a call. We got you. We're, we're creating some gold here. All right. Well, I think we, you know. We could talk about this particular movie, I think. Well, I could talk about this movie, I think, for hours, but I won't force you to do it. So, But I do, before we wrap on this one, I want to get your high level. I want two ratings out of you, Mm -hmm. which will be I want a spooky rating. So, like, do we feel like this was super spooky? Do we feel like it was Halloween-y? You know, there's inevitably always, like, what's a Halloween movie kind of debate. So do you feel like it's Halloween-y? What's the spook rating? As far as a spook rating is concerned... I, a gothic horror love story. It's very interesting because I don't think that I would feel obligated to watch this again in October. I wouldn't associate this with horror. It's kind of like, that's how I feel about almost every Del Toro film. Mm, mm -hmm. They are bigger. They have horror components and horror elements, but for the, they feel more like fantastic, like not Mm. fantasy films necessarily, but I think that you watch them for the just the visual beauty of what he produces and sort of these unique creatures. And you get a lot of that in this with mm-hmm. the ghosts are very colorful and they're scary, but they're not terrifying. It right. never felt to me. It didn't scare me in the least, I would say. Okay. There were times where I felt a little on edge, but because he's not a stereotypical director where he's going to go in for those jump scares and that yeah. I appreciate that about him. But you're going to get jump scares are weak. Sorry. I said I, I do, too. I jump. I think jump scares are weak. Yeah, they're predictable. Yeah. And so you're like any Del Toro film, you're going to get those memorable monster or creatures of some sort that are going to look cool. And you're going to remember that yeah. more than you remember most of the plot of the movie for me personally. So I thought it was very cool on the spook meter. I would only give it like a, a five or a six. I didn't think it was super scary. It did feel to me like more of just a fantastical film that okay. had a couple pieces of horror elements. Okay, give us one just for reference, for the listener's reference. <laughs> what is a spook film for you? Like a super spooky one that would be like a 10. What would that be? A 10 for me 
Are you talking about my favorite horror films? Are you talking about movies that actually scare me? Scared you. Okay. Like what scared you? I would say the first Paranormal Activity, the first time I saw really? it, scared me when I was younger, the Blair Witch Project. Oh, okay. Not afterward, because you don't yeah, really sure. see a lot in either right. of those movies, but while I'm watching it, it keeps me on edge. Mm, okay. Those are typically the ones that mess with me the most. Okay. You know, when I was younger, yeah. the slasher films like Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street would scare me. And now that I'm older, they're more just like sure. kitschy kind of fun. Right. But yeah, it, it takes a lot to really get to a 10 for me. It's got to mm-hmm. be something that sticks with me yeah. after I see it. Yeah. No, I just needed to understand your scale, yeah. you know, so that helps me a lot. Okay. So overall rating, though, what like just as a film, again, not Halloween, not spooky, whatever, just as a mm-hmm. film, mm-hmm. what would be your rating? Would you watch it again? Would you recommend it to people? That kind of thing. If I'm being honest, I'd give it like a six, six and a half. I did enjoy it. I thought it ran a little long for the subject matter. I think you could have told that story a little quicker. But I love the the characters in it. I love the dynamic between the main characters. It did have a couple twists that I did not see coming. But I thought for the most part, I sort of knew where the plot was going. And for the middle act, I was like, can we just get this Mm, moving because we know where this is going. So I'd say six, six and a half. And one last thing that I wanted to say about Del Toro films is that you always get a little bit of gore at the end. It always always feels that way. Um, And in this, that last... 15 20 minutes where you know people are getting stabbed in the face stabbed in the face man You're that is the like one that machete gets machete and knife fights yeah. and the elevator and just like the slice along the machete and the hands yeah and you see the fingers yeah. like that is classic del toro that is some gnarly well. shit yeah and like i don't i'm not a big gore person but i think it's aptly applied here yeah you know what i mean i think he does a, an appropriate amount you know if you're fighting for your life mm-hmm. these are things that are happening and i think it was interesting to see lucille stab him in the face like that's so yeah. intimate you yeah. know what i mean and like i'm in a true crime as well we've talked about this like they say that about like stabbing one stabbings but two like if they're trying to mutilate you in some way it's personal you know yeah. and you could feel how personal it was to her and that was and then she immediately regrets it as he sits down i like that they have the shot of him pulling it out of his face and her realizing like what i just did yeah yeah and i think that's that moment of just like i didn't i didn't i maybe blacked out you know what i mean like i didn't realize that what i that i just did that but i also like really wanted to punish him Mm -hmm. and now we're both going to be punished you know anyway yeah very very gory but i thought it was appropriately used yeah what about you like uh, i know this is one of your favorites i feel bad for giving i was about to say you wanted to pick a fucking fight today is what i hear oh yeah where do you stand on this one i i love this movie i i mean i love almost everything that del toro does i love that he just pushes boundaries i love the visuals i love the colors i love interpreting the work you know, I think he gives you a lot to chew on, mm-hmm. a lot to try and interpret. You don't have to just watch it. Yeah. Uh, I think you can, again, you can watch it 12 times. Like one of the things, I rewatched this and I noticed stuff this time. You know what I mean? I've watched it so many times and I notice yeah. new things every time, which I, we should do a throwback episode later where I ask you again after you've watched it, if you th- if you saw anything else that you hadn't before. Because that's what I love about his work. Like I can watch it several times, yeah. find new avenues, uh, understand it better, I think. So I just think that there's so much richness to it yeah. that it's a rewatch and a rewatch. And to me, that's just a, a solid indicator to me that I love a film yeah. is that if I can rewatch it over and over. And I re- I rewatch this once or twice a year. Huh. And uh, so I would say like an eight, eight and a half. Okay. Probably for me. Yeah. And I will say that for, for everything that I've said about it, what I do, what another thing I do enjoy about it is it's not a film that relies on the twist. 
It's not as yeah. though once you know the twist at the end, you don't need to go it's back exactly, and watch it. It's like still I feel enjoyable. like you could enjoy this mm-hmm. for the visual beauty. You can enjoy it for right. the character work because everybody that's in this does a fantastic right. job. Charlie Hunnam gets to talk in his actual accent, yeah. which is fun because yeah. I'm used to him in Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, Sons of Anarchy. Where he's like trying to do an American straight voice. up a biker <laughs> accent, <laughs> rough and tumble. To, yeah, <laughs> to hide his British. I'm like, dude, you're so much classier than this. But oh, he is. He's so much classier sounding. At least I don't know. We don't know yeah. him personally. Charlie, give us a call. We want to know. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. I think you should watch it again. We'll ha- we'll have a revisit conversation okay. about this, okay. and then see we how can you watch it together. It. And you can point out like, oh, did you notice? Oh, I have a whole like, fucking list. Okay. Don't even get I'm it. I'm gonna twisted. get the special uh, Mackenzie edition commentary. <laughs> oh my god, I'm gonna make you live tweet my commentary too. <laughs> (laughs) people are gonna be like oh shut up no i love it all right well want to make sure that we we reserve enough time for from dust till dawn i'm gonna let you uh you know give the lead in give a little high level of the plot and then uh i live tweeted this shit as i was watching it so (laughs) i had some strong reactions and i was like i'm gonna forget this so i just started (laughs) typing it out you know so i got a lot to say wonderful yeah so we are moving from super schlocky bad horror cinema into some quality that was the the exact opposite of what we're doing we are definitely taking a downgrade for this next one not to say that it is not a really fun film but this is pretty much the polar opposite of crimson style like setting did you intend that let's start there i don't think so i think because i didn't know much i didn't know much about crimson peak i had seen the trailers i saw the outfits but i didn't piece two and two together that oh We've got this one movie that we're talking about, which is set in this winter European Mm -hmm. Victorian Gothic environment. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, the one that I'm suggesting is a a bar in the dive bar in the middle of nowhere, Mexico, very dry, Mm -hmm. like, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. Could not be more of an antithesis to Crimson Peak, I think, if we tried. Yeah. Yeah. So you had never seen this. I think this was my, might have been my third or fourth time seeing it. So. I wouldn't rank it, as I said, in my top 10 horror films, but it is a very fun watch. And so plot, I guess, general plot, if you haven't seen this, I highly suggest watch. I suggest stopping this right now. And if you are a horror movie fan, watch it, especially if you know nothing about it, because I think I think honestly, you're going to be so confused if you keep listening. Yeah. (laughs) If you haven't seen it, you know, and rewatching it last night. I tried to sort of wipe my memory and be like, let me just watch this and pretend I don't know anything about this movie. I've never seen a trailer for it Mm -hmm. and watch it from the beginning because it starts with two brothers on the run. It feels like a Tarantino film, which he did write. I mean, he he wrote wrote this. Yes. He was supposed Uh, to direct it. He I did, out. okay. Yeah. And he get, and Robert Rodriguez took over. Yeah, he wanted to focus on his character, which is a great one we can talk about. Uh and and the screenplay. Yeah, I had a friend of mine, Chris, if you're listening to this, point out that he wrote the Tarantino wrote this and gave himself the role of the guy who gets a foot in his mouth. I a hundred percent said that as I was watching it. You can yeah. ask my boyfriend, who also heard me say that out loud. I was like, Of course he did, was yes. my immediate reaction. So you know, it starts out with two brothers on the run from the law. Feels very Tarantino. Either wearing sort of uh, suits, like no ties, but sort of. It's gen- very Pulp blazes. Fiction-y, yeah, but in very, a different setting. Yeah. yeah, Jules and Vincent from Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. basically on the lamb trying to get to Mexico to mm-hmm. escape the law because I think one of them escaped from prison or something like that. So 
starts out as sort of that. They run into this family. Uh, the father is a former preacher and his two Harvey kids. Keitel Harvey Keitel is a former Mr. Pe- Harvey preacher. Keitel. I just, we can't overlook that. Keep going. Yes. And then you've got Juliette Lewis as yeah. his daughter. And I don't know the name of the actor that plays the son. I don't think he did a lot after I don't this. think he did either. So, so I don't. I feel like a jerk I feel now, bummer. Yeah, but, I feel yeah. bummed out. But they take them hostage they you find out you know i don't know how much into the details of the plot are super important but essentially tarantino's character is a psychopath and he's killing hostages zero percent shocked by the way to be yeah using for leverage and he kills their hostage so they end up taking this other family hostage instead and then it's the plan is we're gonna flee to mexico we're going to stay through the night, and then I'm not sure if it's the cartel leader or who it is that's coming to get them in the morning. But hey, all we've got to do, get into Mexico, yeah. hang out at this bar for the night. Yeah, yeah. And so, I mean, the opening, I have such a hard time, and this is going to be super controversial. We might lose all our listeners oh, right this no. moment. But I both have, I have a love-hate relationship with Quentin Tarantino. Okay. And it is mostly because I find him to be genuinely creepy. Yeah. I respect so much some of the work that he has done, but that is very hard to separate from, for me, the like creepy vibes that he gives me. Yeah. And then also that he then casts himself as a creep, like an actual creep in this film further validated it for me too. So it's like he leaned into the creepiness of of himself, I thought. And so I was just like, this guy is, you know. Let's just be honest. Like he's a robber, he's a murderer, he's a rapist. He mm-hmm. he has fantasies in his head about women that are not real, and mm-hmm. uh, and he then acts on them and does yeah. terrible things. And he's his brother, by the way, is a thief, a murderer, as necessary mm-hmm. as he likes to point it out. He's yeah. I don't murder people who don't need to be murdered, right? You know, and he is creeped out by his own brother. Yeah, there's a lot to to go off of that. I want to backtrack just a little bit to the Tarantino of it all. And that's, I get it that Tarantino is very, does not seem to shy away from like, yeah, I'm in defeat. Like, yeah. And, but to play devil's advocate here, Tarantino worked at, was it Miramax with the Weinsteins? Yeah. yeah. He made films with them, yeah. did other things. Yeah. All the shit that came this out on This is the Miramax them, pr- produced film. Yes. Yeah. All the shit that came out on, like, to me, you're like, is this cultural? I'm like, well, not that. I actually, <laughs> I'm like, well, Tarantino at least is outward about his creepiness yeah, and the things yeah, yeah. that he does. Nothing's not ever in the come out about him way. of like, yeah. he's doing really bad, right. effed up shit. Like, and listen, in real we don't life. kink shame. Like, you can have yeah. a foot in your mouth. Like, I support you. So uh, but, I will take a Tarantino yeah. creepy foot fetish being public knowledge sure. opposed to the shit that's happening behind closed yeah. doors in Hollywood. Well, and also, like, he can't control this, but his face is creepy. Like he gives off creepy vibes. I'm not. I'm. It, yeah. it is. I'm not trying to disparage a man's looks, but you know what I mean. There are people who their persona, like that they're putting out there, or of this actor or what yeah. have you, like fits their body type sometimes. Uh-huh. And I feel like he is physically able to lean into the creep. Also, unrelated and deep cut. I am a huge Alias fan. Alias nerds unite. Come come at me. Uh, and he is in Alias for quite a while. Okay. Um, as an actor, he comes and guest stars in Alias for like I want to say almost a season and a half. Okay. You know he he makes a pretty uh long and strong appearance, and I hated his character in that movie. <laughs> I mean that show. So uh, I think that's a contributing factor, is what I mean. Okay. Like, it's the it's okay. the cumulative of him that I'm like, oh, I don't love watching you. I love watching your work 
but I don't love watching you. Okay, well, I've got good news for you about 30 minutes, but we'll get there in a second. So anyway, uh, to also to spin off of your comment, I, I think one of the most fascinating parts of the first half of the movie is the dynamic between the two brothers. So you have mm-hmm. George Clooney, his character's name is Seth. Yeah. And his brother's name is Richie. Richie. And it is interesting that he knows that his brother is effed up. That's what I mean. But he even seems a little shocked by it here and there. You know what I mean? Like, it, it maybe it's something he puts out of his mind denial. here and there. He I denies denial. it because he just, how can you love your brother if not kind of thing? Yeah. Uh, maybe it's something like that. But, you know, he comes back to the hotel room after the hostage has uh-huh. been brutally raped and murdered. Um, trigger warning. Sorry, that needs to go in before that. Sorry. And that's an interesting, yeah. the the shot of that. And I mean, the I, way he shoots I, that. I don't give Rodriguez enough credit sometimes for his, his actual directorial, but it. that... The slow cuts the of slow you just cuts. see George Clooney's face being like reacting to the different yeah. aspects and of the scene. And then they're showing you these in the bloody. Room. The phone covered in blood, yeah. the splatter on the wall. the And none of it's the, I think what's telling too is none of it's her. Right. None it's, of it's her body. None yeah. of it's really the bed. It's everything else and around it. It's almost as though maybe he can't look at her. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. he knows what happened. He can see what happened, but mm-hmm. he can't see her. Yes. You know what I mean? Because maybe that makes it too real, yeah. you know, but he is so shooketh by that. Mm-hmm. He is shook in that moment. And he's looking at him. And he's like, what is wrong with you? Yeah. Which is, by the way, realizing. what all of us are thinking. Yeah. It's him realizing like, oh, Jesus, you like, have a problem. Yeah. And that's yeah. like, what do I have to do to fix it? Is it? Is there anything I can do to fix this? Yeah. So that's sort of how the movie like that dynamic is what starts it out yeah. for the first i think 30 minutes i think it also makes it theme, seem like it's going to be a slightly different movie that is why i that's the entire premise of why i said you know what it would be so cool to watch this and i hope that if you i hope you took the warning early and you're not still listening to this because 30 minutes in you think oh this is going to be some hostage yeah. type thing it's this interesting yeah. dynamic of this preacher mm-hmm. coming across these two psychopaths or one and a half psychopaths mm-hmm. and how is this going to sort of play out and then it takes just a hard left it takes turn. a hard left turn they, and it's reminiscent of something else that is escaping me at the moment but yes it, it, it that at the top is reminiscent of something else it gives you it gives you kind of a solid hostage movie vibe you know yeah, things like that yeah and and you think like this is where it's gonna go and then it yeah for sure hard left turn i just love the entrance again of harvey Keitel as a fucking preacher yes. like and also i just thought there's no way he's gonna pull this off yeah. You, you know what I mean? At first, not because Harvey Keitel is not an incredible actor. Like, don't get it twisted. But it's just not his type. You right. know, what this I mean? is what, a year or two after Pulp Fiction? And I think a few so. years after Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. And you've just known him as this cold blooded killer For in sure. so many films. For sure. And you just think, OK, this this is not the vibe. But, yeah. you know, the hat, the shirt, the like the whole look of him. He yeah. really commits to it. Yeah. And, you know, and he's got an adopted son, obviously. Uh-huh. She's maybe adopted, but you can't tell. Yeah. But he's visibly an adopted son. Like, and and the wife is not there. She has since passed, all these mm-hmm. things. So his whole persona, like he really commits to it. And he's yeah. he's a preacher struggling with his faith, which becomes a, a big theme of the of the movie. Right. Um, but as soon as they enter, you know. They re-hostage, you know, mm-hmm. hostage has died. They don't have a hostage anymore. So they need a new hostage. This hostage happens to be handy because they have an RV. I think that was actually the plot of Taken 2, right? Right. <laughs> we got to re-hostage. We got to re-hostage again. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. You know, insert hostage here, basically. Yes. But this one was very convenient because it can hopefully get them across the border. They got an got RV. Got an RV. Yep. It looks like a wholesome family mm-hmm. on a little vacation. It's perfect setup. Um, so, but even then, still feels hostagey yes you know yeah. i think where it got creepy for me again 
um I mean, it was still hostage but got creepy, was, uh, you know, he's in the hotel room and he imagines Juliette Lewis saying that, that shit to line. him. Yeah. And I just was, I, so many of my notes here are like, this has not aged well. Yeah. Yeah. They're, I, I'm not even going to say some of the words that they say in this movie because yeah. it's so inappropriate. Teaser trailer. It's like anti-gay F word. Yep. It's ethnic slurs. Yep. It's certain levels of cursing. It's this... Uh, you know, right on the edge of underage girl. We don't know exactly how old she is. We know she's not 21. Yeah. Um, but young girl, older man having these literal fantasies mm-hmm. about her and her feed and yeah. whatever. And imagining her saying things like he has a problem. And you now, know? okay, I'm going to take that and I want to not like take the other side, but I want to point out that this is we're in the head of a psychopath we've talked about what a terrible person he is yeah. and he's doing these terrible things so it makes sense that when we're seeing things through and it's play for comedy that i will say is not fun yeah. doesn't make you feel good watching that yeah but it's like i could understand how it's like let's see things through a psychopath's eyes for a second yeah. hear what he hears i get that and i think also we've established that these are not good people i i do have problems sometimes when a movie has hateable characters but doesn't have them talk like those people would talk i'm not saying that it's okay to use specific types of words and right terminology you're saying there's an authenticity way, to but it but it makes it feel real right. because that's being said right right, right. and it's like and I'm, again i think yeah. it's dated too right like we have to acknowledge right. that people said yeah, it's the a product word time. in the 90s it doesn't make it okay right but right yes. and look I mean, we probably said it in school like what i was yeah. around that age you know yeah. like we said we you live in our bullshit we y- know right we were all immature we were idiots all at some immature. point well, yeah. and you know, you, uh, you know, you uh, do the best you can until you know better and then you do better. Right. Mm-hmm. So we got to give people credit where it's due. But yeah, it's still jarring to hear right. and to go back and be like, oh, this just gives me more ick about all of it, yeah. more grossness about all of it. Um, but then, yeah, to your point, it shifts gears. They get across <laughs> the border and then they get to the titty twister, yeah. which is the bar that they're going to meet Carlos mm-hmm. uh, and they've got to get to Dawn. That's the whole premise. They've got to get till dawn because that's when Carlos is coming to meet them. They just figure they're going to chill, kill some time in the titty twister for, yeah, uh, for a while. It takes a very lighthearted turn for like 10 minutes. For 10 minutes. It's like, oh, they're bonding. It's like this. Yeah. So the George Clooney chills out. Yeah. He's not being as much of like a gun in your face. Sure. You know, person. Until they enter, though. Because like you said. And then he tells everybody to play it cool. Because he's in a good mood for two seconds. And he tells everybody to play it cool. And he's like, I love this vibe that we have. Like, don't fuck with me. Don't fuck with you kind of vibe. And then the second he walks into the bar, he punches the door guy. (laughs) You know, who granted had just been screaming about all various forms of pussy for five minutes. So, like, I was down for that guy to get punched. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. But I was also like, can we like, can we be calm for five seconds, please? Yeah. And he cannot. He cannot keep it cool. Also, while we're on the subject of Carlos and the doorman, did you pick up on? Of course. Of course. I have three different roles. I have that. I have that note 12 times in this movie of Cheech is fucking everywhere was my was my note. Just of, like, I guess we'll just give him three salaries and call it a day. Yeah. Just, yeah. Give, you know, he just was like, I'm going to I want to be in every scene. Basically, <laughs> I, I can't I can't not be in a scene. So, yeah, no, he is the door guy. He gets punched in the face. He's the cop at the at the border. 
He's, you know, and then, of course, he comes he comes in later as Carlos and yeah. uh, who didn't know that this bar what it was, what it was either. So yeah. very interesting tie together for him to be at all the phases, I yes. think, of the movie. But yeah, he goes in, you know, George Clooney, Seth walks into this bar immediately picking fights with Danny Trejo at the bar, no less. Yep. And this is where I, I gained a lot of respect for the preacher, quote unquote, who's been pretty chill. You know, mostly chill, reasonably mm-hmm. chill for like a dad whose kids are being held hostage. Yeah, and uh, and then he steps up. Yep, he steps up. He's like, okay, I got this. I'm the truck driver. These are my friends. Let's all keep it. You know, let's keep it where cool. But he can like think, hold his own. Yeah. Where do you think that comes? Like from a character perspective, I have my own theory. But why is it that suddenly this preacher is like, I'm gonna get him to chill out. Like I'm gonna step in and kind of take care of these two psycho brothers in some capacity and keep them from escalating things. I think he really believes that they're going to let them go. You know, I think that's why he's committed up to this point as much as he has been, or he could have raised hell at the border if he wanted, you know, I think they had that heart to heart in the RV of like, we understand each other. And if he touches my daughter, I'm going to kill him. And we're on the same page kind of thing. Like once he said that and he understood that, I think, Uh uh, and affirmed that that was understandable kind of thing. I think that they had this detente, you know, they had come to an understanding. And from then on, it was, again, get to dawn, get to dawn, get me and my family out. And whatever I have to do to commit to that, I'm going to do. And I even, yeah, I have the note that they become this like weird little family, yep, like a new iteration of this little family. And, you know, they get they get past the the fight with Danny and they go over and have some drinks. He makes them drink with him. Basically, you know, Seth is like, no, y'all are going to drink with me. He tries to pass. But then even that, like when Harvey Keitel decides to drink with him again, another detente. Yep. Another moment of agreement. To your family. Right. To your family. Weird family. Yeah. It's like a weird family. Yeah. And then, of course, shit goes down because, you know, Seth picked fights coming in the door. Yeah. Uh, Also, we have, uh, you know, speaking about the cast a little bit, you get Danny Trejo when he was only like 52 years old. Not like now when he's 86. Right. Danny Trejo is just perpetually. I don't know when he started acting, but he's. He's in everything, I feel like. I mean, he's definitely in everything that Quentin Tarantino does. You know what I mean? Like he makes an appearance at times that you don't expect. I also felt like he was going to last longer than he did, like, to be honest. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, but yeah, like, you can't overlook all these characters. I mean, in the interest of time, I'm going to summarize some some highlights for me, which were, of course, Salma Hayek coming in and doing her... Now, was this her first film role? No, she had already done uh, Desperado. Okay. Yeah. Because this is 96, and Desperado's 95. But these are her first two big ones, mm-hmm. you know? And uh, and so, yeah, she does the Satanico Pandemonium, yeah. I think is what it's called. With a really good backing band, by the With way. Can, really we, can we call out how good the band like is? Like solid band. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, yeah. I think they've got like, they're not a one hit wonder. They've got like right. three bangers in there. Well, and let's yeah. give her credit too, because yeah. girl literally went to therapy to do this job. Like literally she had a terrible fear of snakes and oh. spent months in therapy to do this dance. Literally. And also, can we talk about how she's in the movie for like 10 minutes max? But that's Months what you remember. It. But that is what you remember about this film. That is it's what probably, you remember about I mean, this it movie. awakened something in me when I was like a teenager. I'm not going to get into the details, but I like Selma Hayek. We can acknowledge that. like Selma Hayek is uh, Selma Hayek yeah. is a lot of people's sexual awakening. Like, let's yeah. be honest. It's fine. It's yeah. fine. She's gorgeous. Like, mm-hmm. uh, again. And then she puts her foot in, 
you know, Richie's mouth. She literally, you know, gives him whiskey, tequila, whatever it ends up being down her leg, which, by the way, is one of the coolest moves I've ever seen. Like, that was pretty that was pretty cool. Giving me new ideas for the bedroom. I know. I was like, listen, I have never been this sexy. And do I now aspire to do it? Yes, absolutely. How I I think I have been, honestly. I think tequila running down my leg hair (laughs) into Quentin Tarantino's mouth. I think he would love it. I think he would love it. I think we've demonstrated that with this movie. But yeah, no, that's an iconic scene. I think she does an amazing job of it. Danny Trejo, of course, does an amazing job. Him and Cheech come in, pick the fight. Shit goes down. And then chaos ensues. Yeah. Chaos utterly ensues. But the vampires. So the spoiler alert for the umpteenth time, they're all vampires. And that, watching this back, that's why I had that. I was following, like tracking throughout the film. At what point do I start to think that's where this is going. And literally until the fight happens and they like knock out and shoot three different people. Mm-hmm. And then Tarantino, uh, Richie raises his hand up and it's got the blood. Yeah. And you see, oh, and you see Selma Hayek's character look at it. That's the first hint you get that there are vampires involved in mm. this movie at all. Well, unless you um, watch the trailer like me. That's okay. <laughs> and that's what I mean is I wish that they had been less obvious about what it was because I think if you show a newbie this and they don't know anything about it, it just jumps into it jumps like at a you. hard, yeah, hard. But I do part. think like she has two phases. I noted two phases where they cut to her, where she is seeing the blood, reacting, keeping it cool. And then there's a second shot, a second phase of she is no longer keeping it cool. You know what I'm saying? Like, right. I shit is about to go down. And it sure does. She has a snake head, which, by the way, was a weird amalgamation of, like, I'm a vampire, but also a snake. <laughs> and that, I think, is my biggest complaint about all the vampires in this movie, is that they're all a weird iteration of vampire. And then some of them are kind of not. And But there's they lump no them all into... Appearance. There's no uniform yeah. anything. One of them is, like... Even George Clooney says multiple times, he's like, I didn't believe in vampires, but now I do believe in vampires because I believe my eyes. And I'm like, do you? Because there's a lot of shit going on here that are not vampires, it feels like. But then they are because they kill them the way that they kill vampires. But also the thing that stood out to me because I saw it in this, this order is that Joss Whedon stole his vampire looks from this movie. Yeah, the, uh, the furrowed brow, like the yeah, weird, the physical like, faces, yeah, tightened forehead, yeah, angled eyes. Buffy yeah. comes out in '97. I looked. Oh. I was like, I have strong feelings that Joss Whedon stole mm-hmm. this because he's garbage. His work is great, but he's garbage. <laughs> uh, but anyway, he he stole that. Like the yeah. the aesthetic is exactly the same, especially the ones who are a little bit more uniform. You yeah. know what I mean? Like yeah. they all. I mean, look by like the that. end of the film, when the all the vampires that were not initially in the club because they kill all the vampires in the club pretty much. Mm -hmm. Then there's all the vampires outside flying around that start infiltrating. But when they all show up, it's more of a, I wouldn't say traditional, but they look almost like those, the early well, 90s like, like witches movie trans- yeah like they've this. transformed yes. yeah. yeah yeah so those ones look a little more uniform but i mean at some point you get a dog vampire yeah. out of nowhere no like, okay the one that did it for me though is sex machine turning into a vampire <laughs> and then turning into basically an rous like i was like is this princess bride or is this <laughs> dust till dawn because it's straight up an rous that they yeah. then have to fight and murder he is a giant rat vampire yeah and i was like no I so can't. do you want to touch base really also, quick yeah, on, on Sex Machine? Well, Sex Machine, and I didn't even, I even on my third or fourth watch, I still couldn't tell you the other guy's name with the cigar. 
that's the other side character briefly after the the only survivors are the main I family. read it because I, you know, I give things a goog, but I do not remember it. No. Yeah. So, I mean, the character himself is memorable, but I couldn't tell you his name. No Sex idea. Machine, I could. Yeah, you know why you, you can't help but remember Sex Machine? Well, for two reasons for me. One, I have to watch things with captions because I am a thousand. <laughs> two, so they put Sex Machine in front of his his yeah. track. So I that's how I knew. But two, that fucking cod, cod piece, piece, though. Yeah. <laughs> that also i rewound it multiple times to figure out how it worked does it connect to his brain because there's no visible trigger i'm wondering if maybe it's he's wearing a jacket usually when it happens so maybe yeah. it's like a little thing in his he like, has some palm. kind of trigger that is not visible yeah. and i watched multiple times to try and find it i spent an alarming amount of time trying to find where that trigger was and i was also like really really <laughs> Just that was just my reaction in real but life. But that's, I mean, okay, we don't want to delve too much. I know that we with Del Toro, we did go pretty heavy into his style, and I think a maybe a staple of Robert Rodriguez is just off the wall weaponry. Guns. Because you think yeah. about Planet Terror and uh, like the leg yeah, gun, and leg. you think about like El Mariachi and the guitar mm-hmm. gun. So you're I think true. that's sort you're, of like you're a, right. It's true. It's it's definitely a a hallmark of his. I think that's true. But yeah, I definitely had a strong reaction to it. That's that's for sure. So again, in the interest of time, shit goes down. Yeah. Basically, the entire family is killed except for Juliette Lewis. Uh-huh. And then, of course, Seth, the you know primary character, mm-hmm. which I also feel like Seth is basically George Clooney's evil twin. Like, a little yeah. bit of George yeah. Clooney's evil twin. Also, stay pretty george because he kept shooting salma's character and i kept being like stop shooting her it's literally not working you are pretty but dumb sir <laughs> like it just kept going i wanted it to stop and then you know they figured out a, a a job for him but essentially i felt for a long time like his gun was for him to pose with yeah i was yeah. like this is just george Clooney posing they're like we know he's hot let's give him some some good pose shots yes um but hey you know he makes it out Yes. He makes it out. She makes it out and he makes it out. And she kind of wants to glom onto him. She kind of wants to go with him. I like the way they played that, too. I couldn't yeah. remember how it ended from the last yeah. time I watched. I was like, do they leave together? And she yeah. makes the attempt of like, hey, you need some company. I knew she was going to ask. And I did know la- that. What's his last line? I'm evil, but I'm not that evil. Or he something. said, I'm a bastard, but I'm not a fucking bastard. Yeah. And yeah. it's like, I'm not, kid, next level. you're not coming with yeah. me. Like, yeah. he just. I'm going to El Rey. Right. Shit's going to get real. But also, let's talk about how bad El Rey must be for him to be like, we just went through all that, <laughs> but you can't come you're with me. You're not ready for this. <laughs> you're not yeah. ready for yeah. this. Like, I don't even, we need a part two where we figure out where the fuck he just went. <laughs> well, they did make a part two. Well, but it wasn't three. for that, and was it? Part four. And a part, I, they made a lot of these, but George Clooney is not. I, yeah, I saw reason. that. I saw that they made more, but like, Again, I want to follow him. I want to follow Seth yeah. and figure yeah. out what just happened. But yeah, I saw that they made more and I was like, no. They probably it's have. A hard I, I don't think I've seen any of the sequels, but I would assume Cheech has like 42 27 roles. roles. Yeah. And Danny Trejo's in all of them because yeah. he doesn't say no to a movie is Correct. what is what we have yeah. learned about it, him. He just does them all. Get paid. Yeah, 100%. But yeah, I like that she doesn't go. I like that he doesn't let her go. But I did know she was going to ask. Mm-hmm. I 100% mm-hmm. knew she was going to ask. Anything from you as far as... You know, we got into visually the Crimson Peak discussion. Did anything stand out to you as far as like cinematography, visuals, makeup, special effects, anything like that, gore even? I mean, it had some solid throwbacks to like Tarantino shots that he likes to do, like the trunk shot. Yeah. You know, the trunk shot for the hostage at the top. Like Mm -hmm. that's a classic. I think it's in probably every single one of his fucking movies. Yeah. Um, And then it had some, uh, it had 
some Robert Rodriguez things like we talked about, some mm-hmm. kind of hallmarks to that. As far as how it was shot, though, I thought it was kind of, you know, traditional, basic, not nothing bad at all. I yeah. just mean I, there weren't a lot of shots that stood out to me as being extraordinary. Or no. I, I don't think it would have been it. It wouldn't have necessarily made sense anyway. I think you're kind of on ground level with everyone that's in this battle. Yeah. I think that's the point. Yeah. You know, you're supposed to have that lens. Um, right. We are in the thick of this shit. And this is what we're seeing from our from our perspective. I think it's intentional for sure. But yeah. I don't think there's any like crazy shots. No, I think the if anything, going back to the the flickering shot when George Clooney's looking at the, the mm-hmm. death scene at the beginning. But right. aside from that, the only other one that I would be like, oh, that felt kind of cool or like very Rodriguez Tarantino. He was when they first arrive at the bar and there's sort of like mul- I don't think it's a one shot, but there's multiple panning shots of just how insane this oh, bar yeah. is with the dancers and like you see the bar and you yeah. see all the patrons. I thought that established sort of the vibe of that. And that's when the film gets, like I said, it's lighthearted. It's like very Babylon minutes. Bacchanal vibe yes. of that place. Yeah. And you get the full 360 of it for yeah. sure. I also loved um, when they kill Richie again. Like it's not necessarily like yeah. a unique shot, but it's just it's a big moment because he's he's turned and Seth has to decide to kill him. But it was this very like you can't make fun of my brother, but I can kind of move. Yeah. It was like you can't kill my brother, but I can. Yeah, kind hold of move. him down. I liked his last line to him of like, "Here's the peace in death that I couldn't give you in life." It sort of gives him the opportunity to. They give him a lot of poignance here and there. Yeah. You know what I mean? He has another moment. I can't remember exactly, but he has another moment in the RV. He has that moment where he sees the woman's body early on. He has that line at the end. He has the moment again, utterly poetic of him turning the girl down. You can't come with me. And these are all like, I think, triggers to his, not only his humanity, but a little bit more of his empathy, you know, of like, I am a thief and I'm a bad guy, but I'm not like a bad, bad guy. Yeah, I think it's uh, you bring up some good points and it is it's worth touching on that. He doesn't feel at any point sort of like a I think the easy route would be, oh, let's make him an action movie star and like make him a Mm -hmm. badass. Mm -hmm. You don't. It's George Clooney. I think that's a very intentional casting. Yeah. He's not running around, you know, one, you know, one man armying this entire thing of vampires like he is a complex, complicated character. And yeah, I kind of like that about him now that you mention it. Well, and they this is him coming off of VR, too. Mm, Um, And even Tarantino said that he was like it was something some cheesy line of like. I loved that he went from being a guy who saves people in the ER to sending them to the ER. Yeah, I know? mean, that's a good way to break out of typecasting. Like, I can play more than just exactly. doctors. I'm going to well, go be well, a vampire. Well, you got it. You know, what would have happened if he hadn't, to be honest? Right. You know, right. what would his car- What would his career look like now yeah. if he hadn't just completely 180'd it? Yeah. Those plays don't always play well, but it, it did play well here, I think, for yeah. sure. Awesome. Well, yeah. So, I mean, all that to say, I was super annoyed for a lot of it. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, Spook factor for me, spooky factor. I don't think it was scary. No. It would be like a three. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There aren't even really jump scares. You know what I mean? Like, it's just gore. It's just a little battle. And it, the, when those things happen, you expect them to happen. So they're not particularly And it's also scary. very 90s. Yeah. It, it's, it's at that time in film history where we were walking the line between practical effects and digital effects. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's like there's a lot of 
practical makeup on the vampires, but then they'll get staked and there's kind of this crappy yeah. fake fire effect. It's got to be melting. a little campy, even yeah. for a rating perspective. They actually said that they had to use oh, green blood to get over the sensors. Okay. So like they purposely made it a little bit more campy to get a larger audience, too, I think. You know, okay. that's how you get more yeah. more audience yeah. for sure. So, yeah, it wasn't scary. It wasn't spooky in that way. I would say, yeah, again, like a two or a three. Overall film, I wouldn't give it much higher. It's kind of, this is where I was like, Lamar and I have different tastes in movies. <laughs> and that's fine because I, but I think it was like, yeah, I'd say it was like a five, you know. It's not something I would particularly watch again. Yeah. But would I suggest other people watch it? Yes. Yeah. To your point, I think it's a fun flick. Fun. You watch it one time through, like whatever. Maybe you watch it a couple more times. It's not one I'm going to go back and watch. Right. Um, but it, I see why people want to watch it. But it, it's it's also, again, I think certain things didn't age well for me as part of that as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'd say like a five-ish. Yeah. This feels, I don't think this was intended, but it feels as though our two choices today I think Crimson Peak, I could see women watching that more frequently than or rewatching that mm -hmm. more frequently than a man might. Whereas I think Dust Till Dawn was definitely aimed at teenage males. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that's who probably the folks that are going to watch it more frequently. Yeah. It's not to say you can't enjoy both. But sure. I think when we're talking target markets, mm -hmm. that is an unintentional sort of byproduct. There is a targeting today. here yeah. happening. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, okay. Well, thanks for uh, participating in that for me. I appreciated Absolutely. my homework. Uh, we'll have to do this this again. We'll have to do another one of these. But it's we're going to have to strive to find things we hadn't, haven't seen also. So that'll yeah. be another challenge. Yeah. But all good. Well, thank you for doing a spooky movie uh, ep with me. We have another one coming. So oh. we're going to do another one. Come back to hear us on Halloween where we're going to talk about uh, a top 10 Halloween movie list and decide whether or not we agree. It's going to be very controversial. It is going to be super controversial. We're going to make a lot of enemies on that episode, I think. <laughs> Probably. But also, I think we're yeah. going to talk about what's missing. You know, that was my that was my teaser trailer for, for that one is I think there's some stuff missing from that top 10 for I sure. I like that. All righty, guys. Go now. Have a drink <laughs> and watch a thing. Cheers. 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 <laughs>